Listeners, start your engines. Franchise Detours, episode 69. Rob here. And what? My notes are telling me that we're not done with the X-Men megaseries. Well, there's a story behind that, and I did not intend to do an episode of this podcast on 2020's The New Mutants until I ran into our guest, Jackson Smith of Nightfall Entertainment. In real life, we met up. I was t- We were talking about the podcast. I told him what I had going on. He was like, oh, you got to do an episode on New Mutants. And I said, only if you'll come on, Jackson. And here you are, with uh, Jackson and Smith and I talking about The New Mutants. Movie that kind of doesn't exist, which is makes sense considering it's not executed particularly well, which we'll get into, but also sort of a bummer considering what this movie tries to be at, at times and really could have been in different hands. We'll get into all of that, of course. As always, you can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. Go ahead and give us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation, against all odds, on 2020's The New Mutants. The reason you survived is because you're a very uncommon girl. You're not alone. Not anymore. Do you know what mutants are? Would anyone like to share their first time? Rain? I was 13. I thought it was a dream. I just lost control. Sam? I started panicking. People got hurt. Roberto? My girlfriend had burned hair. Ileana? I killed 18 men. One by one. This isn't a hospital, it's a cage. It's important we find out your power so we can help you get better. I saw something. I don't think she wanted me to see. franchise detours we believe no movie series travels in a straight line and even though technically dark phoenix ended the x-men saga and technically i'd been pretending that there were no other films other than the deadpools which we'll get to when deadpool 3 rolls around we are discussing new mutants this episode the new mutants in fact and i am honored to welcome to the show jackson smith welcome to the podcast sir thank you for having me back so this is an interesting one because I've been spending these all the previous 10 episodes being like, oh, we're doing the 10 X-Men movies, not counting the mutants because that's not really a thing. Um, and I told you about that when I, my wife and I were on a trip to L.A. and we met in person and for the first time. Which and, was amazing. <laughs> which, which, which was so much fun. It was fun. a blast, it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And I told you about that and you were like, oh, you have to do New Mutants. And I was like, Jackson, mm-hmm. if you'll come on to talk New Mutants, we will do a New Mutants episode. And here we are a couple of months here after we are. that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. And I am so excited because this, there's actually a lot to talk about with this movie <laughs> for yeah, better there and is. for worse. So there definitely is. Oh, so tell, tell people a little bit about uh, who you are and everything you have going on. Um, yeah. So I am a filmmaker uh, living in LA. Um, I run a podcast, uh, with, uh, my writing partner, Adam Barnard. Uh, we are nightfall entertainment. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, all those other places. Um, we just love to talk about movies. You know, we just love, you know, talking about the current state of the industry and sort of what we, what we really like that we see out there. And a lot of times stuff that we think deserves more attention than it's getting. You know, I really like to, I like to champion stuff that sometimes falls under the radar or stuff that, um, gets a critical reception, which I think is not entirely accurate to how I feel about the thing. Um, and yeah. And so that is kind of a good segue into why I want to talk about this movie because, um, yeah, like this movie is, uh, by all accounts, kind of a a, a failure <laughs> of the studio system and this particular franchise. And it was only sort of compounded by its very weird release, which yeah. we'll get into. Um, but I happen to think it is probably the most interesting thing or one of the most interesting things that Marvel has done. Um, and I'm counting both you know, Marvel in association with Marvel, which is what it says in the opening titles before this movie and also Marvel studios. Like I, I, I by no means think this is like the best Marvel movie, (laughs) not even remotely close. Um, but it's certainly the only Marvel movie I can think of that is led by two queer characters. Um, and is actually, actually a movie in the genre it's playing with as opposed to just (laughs) playing with a specific genre. So I I think there's a lot of really exciting stuff to talk about with it. Uh, And I'm really thankful that you decided to uh, extend your detour a little bit. You decided (laughs) to take a detour with your detour uh, to discuss this, uh, this strange little movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically more of a bonus episode at this point. It feels like this is one of those, like if you're going to cut something, this would be the thing to cut. Cause it is an anomaly because <laughs> it doesn't yeah. fit anywhere. Like all of the other X-Men yeah. movies are interconnected through mm-hmm. similar characters, you know, timeline shenanigans. Uh, and then the Deadpools are sort of their own thing. And the new mutants is sort of a, for, for lack of a better word, an afterthought to the franchise sort of, uh, right. which yeah. is on the one hand, after we rewatching it here, I sort of feel bad for giving it so much crap because Yes, it's a very flawed movie, but it's also, you know, I, I typically don't like to discount movies at a whole cloth and be like, oh, that doesn't that doesn't count, that kind of thing. Uh, but in my own defense, it does feel like the most non-existent Marvel movie in a lot of ways. Like yeah. this came and went, and I feel like a lot of even Marvel fans are probably wait, New Mutants, what is that? What, what even is you know? And and I and we'll get into why that is. Uh, yeah. many different, there's a, it's a really, it's a complicated whole it's notion complicated. with this. Movie. <laughs> um, oh my goodness. But, f- but before we get to, to the new mutants, what is kind of your history with these characters? Were you familiar with them prior to the first film in 2000? And then what's, what's been your experience over the last, you know, couple decades of X-Men movies coming out? 
Right. Yeah. So, I mean, my dad, um, is a huge Marvel fan. So I knew, uh, a lot of the Marvel characters, um, I just at least knew of them when I was a kid because he would have like, he had X-Men comics that he read that were coming out in like the sixties and seventies. Um, I didn't really like get into X-Men though until high school. Um, I remember it was around the time X-Men first class came out, which just going to say this right out of the gate. That is my favorite X-Men movie. I still think that's probably the best X-Men movie. Um, by a pretty wide margin, actually. That's not to say mm-hmm. I don't like the other ones, but I love that movie. It's just one of my favorite superhero movies. And um, all of my friends in high school also loved it. So uh, there was like a period where we all kind of went through an X-Men phase. Um, I sort of tangentially, because like I also, there was a lot of other stuff that I liked. My favorite comic book in high school was actually the Hawkeye comics, which is a little weird, but they are uh, absolutely incredible. Um, but my friends were super into X-Men. So I knew a lot about like the lore and about, um, like this sort of new era of X-Men and uh, like all the drama with Wanda, you know, that's, that's a whole nother can of worms, which I suspect (laughs) they're probably going to, they're kind of teeing up for in the, in the Marvel movies right now. Um, and then of course the movies, you know, like, yeah, I, I really, really, Loved X-Men First Class. Um, I really liked Days of Future Past. Um, Apocalypse uh, was a movie that came out (laughs) Uh, and people saw um, and supposedly had Oscar Isaac in it. Uh, Didn't see Dark Phoenix. Um, And then, of course, yeah, there's the there's the Brian Singer. uh, Well, almost Brian Singer trilogy. Um, And then the Wolverine movies. Uh, Logan's great. Did you you talked about Logan, right? Of course. Yeah, we did the three Wolverine movies and what a bizarre trilogy, I guess that is. Mm -hmm. It's like one of the worst X-Men movies, a pretty good one that kind of falls apart a bit at the end. (laughs) And then one of the best ones. Yes. Yes. It is like truly like every movie was like twice as good as the movie before. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Um, and I think I, I, and I'm really excited for Deadpool three for that. I, I just, cause it's like it, it feels like they actually got to make a sort of trilogy with a side character Mm -hmm. like they did with Wolverine, but they actually largely got to do it really well and on their own terms from the get go. Um, And it's only fitting then that Hugh Jackman comes back. Although I'm not quite sure how I feel about that because I feel like Logan was, I don't know. It was just like such an amazing send off to that, that character and that actor playing that character. I'm like, what else? Why, why would you, why, why would you, you know, like bring it back, but it's Hollywood and, you know. I'm pretty sure Marvel Studios is like, here's a blank check, you Jackman. What number <laughs> do you want on here? And we'll make yeah. it happen. <laughs> yeah, how big how big of a garbage truck do you want when you, when right. you dump a mountain of money on your doorstep? <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Something like that. Oh my gosh, yeah. But I'm excited. So anyway, yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's my experience. I love X Men. I, I think the I think the concept is really cool. I think they've got some of the most interesting characters in Marvel. Um, and while the movies have been a hot mess and so inconsistent, um, the highs are really really high. You know, Logan is like truly an astonishing movie. In addition to being an astonishing superhero movie, um, like I said, first class is like basically perfect um i know everybody loves x2 x2 is great i have a soft spot for the first one um Mm -hmm. i remember seeing that when i was like a really young kid and that leaving a really big impression on me i was like oh wow that was really cool and kind of dark and interesting and um yeah i think i just think it's neat (laughs) 
Yeah. No. What's cool about this franchise is that it runs such a such a wide range because they they took such big swings throughout. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes those sometimes those work like Days of Future Past, and then sometimes they're less successful like Apocalypse, mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. they're even less successful <laughs> like Dark Phoenix and New Mutants. But like on oh. paper, those are interesting like character based yeah. stories. Yeah. A lot of them. Or mm-hmm. they 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 throw giant monkey wrenches in the lore by going through time travel, by going like ancient history, by going, you know, into the horror genre as this film does. And I, yeah. I think in this era where Marvel Studios and DC are are sort of still DC still is kind of now rebooting everything, and then Marvel Studios yeah. has kind of hit a bit of a lull. I guess uh, it's it's sort of refreshing to go back and watch these movies and like, wow, this is some like crazy ideas on screen. And like, they don't all match up, but like it's almost more charming because they don't try and necessarily tie everything cleanly together. It's not, they're not like restricting themselves as far as their creativity in that way. Yeah, no, 100%. Like I, I like watching this movie. I, I was thinking the whole time I was like, you know, for all the issues this had and for all the ways this was like, so obviously fucked with in Mm post-production Marvel would like Marvel studios would never dare to do something quite like this. Like I, and if they did, it would be like a Disney plus series. It wouldn't actually be a movie, you know? Um, and it wouldn't be nearly as ballsy. I think like it, it, like, yeah, like the, like I think, X-Men is fun because they have given filmmakers a bit more opportunity to push the boundaries with what you can do with these characters in a way that I think sort of the Kevin Feige Marvel machine just isn't really interested in allowing um, because of the just machinations of how they do their, how they do that, you know, and, and the trade-off is you have the Marvel Studios movies, which even at their worst are, you know, really good at sort of long form storytelling and like, like interconnected characters and like payoffs that happen over multiple movies, you know, but the trade-off is the movies themselves are, I think a lot less idiosyncratic and a lot less interesting than the X-Men movies. But yeah, yeah, this is kind of like a post-mortem though, because like now this is, this truly is it. Like now every X-Men movie going forward is going to be made under the banner of Marvel studios, you know, and we'll see how that is. You know, I think, I think definitely it'll be more reliably good, but I don't think we're going to see things like, you know, Logan or this. Um, I mean, we're technically getting another Deadpool movie, but even I'm like a little worried. I'm like, okay, well you're not going to like, you can't like sand the edges off of that. That's right, the whole point. That. That's how. That's why <laughs> yeah. that movie was a success in the first place. So you know, I don't know. We'll see. Well, one thing that I've mentioned on a few of these that I'm trying to manifest into existence is Kevin Feige calling up Matthew Vaughn and being like, "Hey, you want another shot at X Men? Because mm. we kind of you kind of got screwed out of your plan and like have." Matthew Vaughn or, or, you know, uh, maybe give him like James Gunn level control over a trilogy of films. I think that would be, because none of the, most of these filmmakers, they're either not going to go back to because their reputation or (laughs) because of their, uh, (laughs) because the films themselves weren't, you know, successes. Uh, I think uh, Mangold's not going to sign up for more X-Men. No, he's Um, he's (laughs) You don't want Ratner or Singer or, uh, you know, Gavin Hood. So I think, 
that would be a good way to sort of refresh it a bit because mm-hmm. he kind of already did that. It's sort of like um, when they brought Martin Campbell in to do Casino Royale after he did GoldenEye. It's like, hey, you know how to bring jo- yeah. James Bond back and like revitalize <laughs> it. Like do that for X-Men, which is ironic. I'm actually, it's, uh, it's kind of a Bond-esque uh, aesthetic in, in first class. Yes. Well, and it's funny. I think this is, okay, this is totally a side tangent, but I think I think the uh, Matthew Vaughn has actually been trying to make a James Bond movie for a while. Like he's like tried courting the Broccoli's to be like, hey, look, man, like, you know, gestures to first class, Kingsman. Yeah, exactly. Cake, you know, kick ass, all these movies. And well, Stardust is my favorite, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but I think, yeah, I think it's like he is such a singular filmmaker. I think you would just have to, again, you know, kind of like we're talking about, like you just have to accept that Matthew Vaughn is going to come in and make a Matthew Vaughn movie. You know, like right. that's why first class was as good as it was because he came in and he did what he does really, really well with the best possible material to work with, you know? And I, I just, I, I don't know. I think, you know, m- the reason Marvel studios is in such a lull right now is because it's like, James Gunn kind of is the only filmmaker that they give yeah. that amount of control to, you know, it's like, and it's not even really a matter of control. It's just like his particular style of movie and his particular sensibilities as a filmmaker just fit so perfectly with what Marvel wants to do, you know? And it's like, I think yeah. Matthew Vaughn would be a great choice, but I, I also like, I've, you know, I've heard enough to, I, I've heard enough and I know enough to suggest that it it might be, it might be a bit of a contentious relationship. <laughs> yeah. But we'll see. Anyway, you could cut, you could cut that whole segment out, but I was just, <laughs> no, we're no, talking, it's, it's franchise detours. So we're talking about, exactly. exactly. We're, on, we're, we're on a detour. About, so. And this is, this is li- like the, uh, sad ellipses at the end of the franchise. So it's like, yeah. this is the place to go on a little bit. So random exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 100%. so obviously this movie Famously uh, insane development history. Um, So this thing shot in like 2017. Um, 2016, I think, actually. Wait a minute. Um, No, you're right. 2017. Yeah. 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 So to put that in perspective, it's this is like the movie Anya Taylor-Joy made after Split. (laughs) (laughs) It's like in that zone. Uh, yeah. the, she had, she did the witch, which she was amazing in, okay. uh, and then split the following year. And then I think split actually came out January, 2017. So yes. a few months after that came out, they started filming this and it didn't hit theaters till 2020, uh, all kinds of crazy, you know, I think it, do you think it was just Fox was scared of like, going this dark or having another movie without you Jackman in it? <laughs> because that, that's what struck me about dark Phoenix is that that, failed and then uh well i mean that was way after this movie had filmed right what do you think was the issue there with this movie and why it was shelved for so long you know i i don't know um i i think watching it again it's i have some guesses like like this is one of those movies where it's you know it's an hour and a half like these yeah. movies aren't an hour and a half. When you've seen a superhero movie that's an hour and a half, like there, there's a that like I'm sure the first cut, or maybe not the okay, not the first cut, but like the probably like what they sent the first the first cut to screen in front of a test audience. I suspect mm-hmm. was probably closer to like two and a half hours, two hours fifteen minutes. Like it's you got five characters. It's a character piece, so there's like a lot of depth that you have to go into with each one of them. And honestly, like. 
yeah, I don't know. It's like they conceptually, the movie, like the bulk of that movie is just like, it's like the breakfast club. It's just, it's like these five kids and they're alone in this huge ass complex and they all hate each other. And then they don't hate each other. And that not hating each other is the story, you know? Um, And it's like, I think I just can't imagine a two and a half hour long breakfast club with, you know, this particular mix of actors and this particular style of filmmaking um, with this particular sort of franchise baggage behind it. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine that was like, like I, I'm sure the test screenings were good, but I think, I think what the studio realized was that like, this is not the movie that this is not going to be like a smash hit. Like this is, (laughs) you know, this isn't going to be like Deadpool where we, we come on and we, you know, it, it, it it gets memed to oblivion and, you know, everybody talks about it and recommends it to their friends. Like, I think, I, I think conceptually this movie is really cool, but as evidenced by a lot of what I, what you see on screen, I think there is a certain alchemical mix of, elements that have to come together to get a movie like the breakfast club, you know, like you watch that movie and it's so each one of them is so individually captivating and they've all got such interesting, they've all got such interesting, unique relationships to each other that change and evolve over the course of the movie. And it's like, yeah, I just don't know if that, I think they tried to go for something like that here. And I think perhaps because of just the particular mix of cast of actors or like the way it was written, it just didn't fire off in the way that they wanted it to. Um, So probably what happened was the studio was like, okay, well let's just get this into the let's, let's whip it into shape. Let's get it into the most manageable runtime possible and, you know, dump it into, and then dump it into theaters and, you know, mark it off as a write-off. But but I think well, then what happened, yeah, what happened was it got pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And it was like, there was a time where everybody, where because of the pandemic and everything, everybody was like, man, they could fully just like shelve this movie and just, right. it's already a write-off for them. Like why, why do they even need to put it out into the world? You know, so it's like, I, I part of the reason I, I go to bat for this thing so much is because I'm like, look, this very could have easily been a Batgirl situation, you know, like this very, this could have very easily been the studio just going like, you know what? Not worth it. And that didn't happen. And you know what? Yeah. We got the only Marvel movie I can think of that's led by two queer characters. You know, we got Anya Taylor joy wielding an interdimensional lightsaber and riding a pterodactyl. I'm like, okay, yeah, great. I love it. I mean, I don't, (laughs) but I love it. (laughs) No, it's, 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 it is what what you were saying. I think with the test screenings and them trying to figure out how to sh- how to shape this thing and how to market this thing, and then yeah. Mickey Mouse stepped in uh, in yes. early 2019, <laughs> and then it was like I think I guess Disney evaluating all the Fox projects that had been completed pre acquisition and trying to, and then they didn't know what to do with it either. <laughs> Yeah, and then yeah, and there was something in the contracts apparently that had to be a theatrical release. Otherwise, this probably would have gone to Disney Plus or Hulu, uh, which in a way would have made sense because uh, this is not necessarily a knock towards the movie, but it does feel like it does feel sort of like a pilot for an extended, uh, you know, series or something. Like this could have easily kicked off a Disney Plus series with these characters now interacting with the real world for the first time. 
For sure. Yeah. No, and it was funny. The first time I saw this movie was on a plane. <laughs> and I was like, great plane movie. Great it, plane It movie. is a great plane um, movie, yeah. And then the second time I saw it was on Disney+. Plus. And both times I was like, this feels like the proper way to watch this. Um, that being said, though, it is this movie does share a, a strange and uncommon distinction in so much that it was one of the movies to actually come out during the pandemic, like mm-hmm. theatrically, which is like kind of crazy to think about. And I think it made probably like $15 or something, um, <laughs> like one person yeah. at a drive-in. Um, but that like, was, I was, that was me. Yeah. And my wife. <laughs> that was you. I saw this you, at the wait. drive-in. Did you really? You saw, you went to the drive-in and watched this movie. I sure did. Out. Wow. How, how was that? Just as like as an it experience. Was very <laughs> weird. I mean, I'd gone to the drive-in before, but like, you know, not, not for a long time. I, we went more, um, my family and I went more when I was a kid, but they are, they've sort of petered out around here. We had to drive a little bit to find the nearest drive-in. Uh, but I think at that point, I was just like, I've got to see this thing. <laughs> yeah. see that I have to see that this exists because they dropped a trailer in like 2018. I remember it was like that scene with Maisie Williams like in the shower. Oh, in the shower. It was yeah, very yeah. prominent in that. Yeah, and everybody's like, damn, this looks hardcore. And then two yeah. years went by and we didn't hear anything until finally yeah. they started dropping marketing again. Uh, it was weird. It was a weird experience uh, seeing it in a drive-in. Uh, it, it's a pretty good drive-in movie, I guess, except for some <laughs> of it. That opening sequence is really dark in general, but like oh, even yeah. harder to see in a drive-in screen. Uh, but one yeah. of the things that I remember the most is that we went to see this at the drive-in. We came back, and that's when the news that Chadwick Boseman had passed away broke, <gasps> oh. like that same day. So like that mm. had that all kind of happened at the same time, which is strange. Um, no. But yeah, it's, 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 it's failure is a combination of two studios not knowing what to do with it, uh, the pandemic stepping into it. And then also, I think something kind of similar to what what we saw with The Flash, which is it's sort of the, you know, the last gasp of a dying, uh, dying franchise, a dying universe. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think, uh, you know, DC has had probably the worst year that anyone has ever had yeah. <laughs> ever financially speaking. Um, and I think that's just because everybody knows every, like their, their laundry is so public. It's so mm-hmm. public. And you know, the, that whole, that the way that whole situation Kate went down has become such common knowledge that it's like, they, we all know that, they're going to come in and start it all over again in, right. you know, another, in another couple of years. So why would we pay money to see these movies? Because they, <laughs> well, because they don't look particularly good either. There's nothing about yeah. them that's, that makes me go like, Oh wow. I really need to see that. I mean, I flash, I think did a, did a, did the best that it could, you know, in so yeah. much that it was like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, Michael Keaton's coming back, you know, this is going to be the huge multiverse thing. We're going to like use this to kind of set up the next era of our universe. Did it though? It doesn't um, set up anything. No, it didn't. it didn't. It Exactly. Well, and it was like, but it, it, it wouldn't have even mattered, honestly, if it did, because people yeah. were like, people were just like, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't care, you know? And it was like, it was yeah. the same thing with, the, I think it was the same thing with this movie. It was just like... I, but it was, it was like, people were like, I don't care except for that sect of film fandom that mm-hmm. like you and I are a part of that was like, right. 
watching the production of this movie and like watching the, the how, how it had gotten punted back so much and like been excited for it purely because they were like, oh my gosh, I I can't believe this actually is coming out. I can't believe they actually are releasing yeah. this thing. I exactly. legitimately didn't think this was going to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, no, good stuff. I would love to see a extended version of this. Like I would love to see like a, yes, a director's cut. Cause I'm pretty sure Josh Boone, Boone is also cut. like, yeah. I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure Josh Boone is, is he's kind of disowned this theatrical version. I believe like he's oh, also yeah. oh. publicly not happy with this, um, yeah, oh, which I'm is, sure. which is a shame because the concept, the idea of doing a kind of breakfast club meets cuckoo's nest meets, uh, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three, Dream Warriors kind of <laughs> vibe. Like, wow, that was good. That was good. That's a, that was that's like, a really yeah. good like. Take. That's the pitch. Like, yeah, um, I, that's a that's a good idea, and that's you know you. There's so many facets of the, as we were saying of this franchise, like having a horror film set in the X Men universe is is a really good idea, and in a lot of ways, in some ways, I feel like this movie is sort of. It was a little bit ahead of the curve because now every horror yeah. movie is people dealing with their trauma. Like there's all those, <laughs> all those super cuts of Jamie Lee Curtis on the various press tours being like tra- trauma, trauma, generational trauma, trauma. And we like, yeah, every movie I've been to see a smile. And I'm like, it's another one of the trauma yeah. movies. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I get it. It's, <laughs> but, but this movie did that. And to this movie's point, Buffy the Vampire Slayer did this movie, uh, mm-hmm. did that same kind of thing decades ago. And I love that they had such, uh, such frequent nods to that television series and how uh, acknowledging that it paved the way it, it walked so that this movie could, you know, could essentially try to run. I guess. Exactly. Yeah. No, it, it's got a lot of Buffy in it. I, I like that when they got, I mean, literally like they're yeah. watching it on TV, <laughs> which was like, I, which I'm like, a part of me was like, okay, that's like a little on the nose, but also like, yeah, the, like you clearly read like, you, like I know that that filmmaker loves that show purely right. because of what I'm watching, you know? So it's like, it felt right seeing it because I was like, yeah, well you did, you really captured that. And yeah, I mean, you captured, a lot of the essence of movies like, you know, The Breakfast Club and One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, what's her name? The Doctor is like a lot of Nurse Ratchet in her. Yeah, like, Dr. Both Reyes, in terms yeah. of like who that character is and how she goes about that performance. Um, just that like really calm demeanor that like becomes more and more unnerving the more horrible things she does. Right. Yeah, exactly. um, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's, it is it's a very flawed movie. It doesn't give its characters nearly enough time to grow and develop. And there's some kind of confusing little plot turns that feel very ADR'd in (laughs) after the fact, there's like a lot of exposition dialogue. That's like, you can tell it was an ADR line because you're not looking at the person talking, right. like looking at something else. And I'm like, Oh yeah, they, they, they stitched something together. They, they got somebody to record something in their closet, you know, <laughs> like a month before the movie came out. Um, but, but like, this is this, yeah, this is a movie that's about something like this movie yeah. is very about trauma and shame and adolescent anxieties you know, it both its character work and it's like actual like plot stuff. And that's really cool. And that's really neat. And it, and its influences run really, really deep. 
And even though sometimes it'll feel like sanded and generic in the way that, you know, a lot of movies touched by Disney are, um, like, I think a lot of that spirit still came through. Like I, yeah, I don't blame, I really don't blame Josh Boone for being like, yeah, that was not a good time. I don't like to talk about that movie, this and that. Like I would, I, as a filmmaker, I would be the exact same way. That being said, I do think it's, I, I, I think it's to his credit that even despite all of the fuckery that happened after they shot it, a lot of that spirit still came through. Like a lot of that spirit still came through. It's like, so it's so apparent why they got these actors and why they got, why they chose to do it in this setting, you know, everybody's specific powers. Like, I'm like it, like this was like on paper, this is like, my fa- on paper, this is like my favorite Marvel movie, <laughs> you know, and there are bits of it that I do think are like legitimately really cool, but we'll get into that. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, you mentioned the characters, so that's, I wanted to kind of take a look at the roster of heroes or, or yes. uh, mutants we're dealing with here. After, obviously you mentioned Dr. Cecilia Reyes, but like among the, the, the kids, these are the only character that's re- appeared in any of the movies, I think is Sunspot, who is in Days of Future Past. Uh, and everyone else. Oh, wait. Yeah, he was in Days of Future Past. At the wait, beginning, that actor? In the future sequence. Not that actor, but the same character doing the similar kind oh. of running around on fire kind of thing. Oh, I didn't even clock that. Wow. Yeah. Um. Interesting. Yeah. That's this goes to show how messy all of this was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that's, they're like yeah. that. They're like whatever. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Uh, and then we have Danny Moonstar, who's Mirage in the comics, Ileana Rasputin is magic. And then rain Sinclair is Wolvesbane. And then, uh, Sam Guthrie is cannonball. Uh, how do we feel about these characters and these, I guess these performances, who do you think is the standout among them? Um, I mean, Anya Taylor joy is the actress of her generation. Like she is, (laughs) (laughs) well, cause I mean, yeah, it's, 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 I, yeah, it's the boring answer, obviously. Cause like, I mean, obviously she's Anya Taylor fucking joy. Like, and she just like, even, even in bad movies, she's great. Like she's just got such an amazing on-screen presence. Uh, she picks the most interesting roles. Um, this particular role, uh, I think was very well suited to her. Um, you know, tall Russian mean girl. Um, like her whole, like once she goes like all metal in the climax with that, like sort of Terminator, like arm thing she's got, like, it's just, you just, you're just like, yeah, of course, obviously like this is, this is Hollywood gold right here. Like, honestly, I, you know, I, it's, it's funny, like with Disney doing this, I'm sure they're going to try and pull in as many characters and stuff Mm -hmm. from the X-Men from the old X-Men movies using vis-a-vis their whole multiverse, you know, nonsense. Um, and I'm like, bring back magic. Oh my gosh. Like, (laughs) you know, like just like the X-Men show up one time. She's just like part of the team. We don't even have to talk about new mutants at all. You're just like, Oh my God, Anya Taylor joy is an X-Men in this movie. Absolutely. (laughs) Like I'm like, they still have to have her under some sort of contract. Like she's still gotta be like contractually obligated for like one or two more of these things. I'm like, you're sitting on a gold mine. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) No, I mean, first of all, I, I always forget when I'm watching this, that, um, this is only the second time I've seen it, but I always forget that her character is supposed to be uh, Colossus's sister, and Colossus, who's in the Deadpool oh, movies, who's yes, in yes. the other X Men movies sporadically. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, even coming out of this the first time for at the drive-in, I was like, well, more of her at least. Like, even if we don't yeah. take everybody with uh, with her, 
yeah. that that I mean that actress obviously Anya Taylor Joy is incredible and watching this this time I was like <laughs> it's almost like they're setting it up for her where she's reading the file and she's like recommend continued investment I'm like yeah I agree with the Essex Corporation <laughs> like I recommend more continued investment in this character yeah like Amen. at least if nothing else she's got to pop up in Deadpool three like if this is their yes. last hurrah of the Fox era give me all of these people like throw yes. them all like throw as many of them as you could fit in there and if you're gonna throw a nod at new mutants she's the person to obviously to play she is she's the person to do i mean Maisie williams too uh, like she, yeah. Maisie williams is a really incredible actress gives a really great performance here um i love a werewolf i love a werewolf werewolf character um like another buffy feels so yeah yeah you know like it feels it, it also just feels like really she she feels like very right in this movie like i was like that yeah. was like a real i think that was a really really good casting call um specifically coming off of game of thrones um and yeah you really you really you really love her too like i think that 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 character is definitely the one where every time i've watched the movie i've like cared the most about i'm like the most mm-hmm. concerned scene to scene um yeah she's great i mean honestly like they all are independently i think like they're all like um sunspot um very very charming <laughs> yeah. um really really good yeah he's great um he's got some fun also, lines it's like i'm gonna marry that girl things like yeah, that. yeah 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 well and it's also like i just like uh this is funny because this is like part of my issue with this movie but also again sort of ties into things that i really commend it for like you have a character who like literally sets on fire every time he gets horny Mm-hmm. why aren't you doing more with that <laughs> like yeah. that's that it's it's such a it's such it's such a great microcosm for all of the themes of the movie and all of the you know sort of ideas of mutant powers as you know latent sexual repression and like things that have gotten explored in the franchise to varying degrees over the years and i'm just like you make that so literal with this character and the bits that they do lean into that i'm like that's so cool. But like, why didn't you do more of that? Like, I was like, I, mm-hmm. it was funny. I was like watching the climax and I was like, man, there's a scene where he sort of like gets, he's like fighting the giant demon bear and he gets like knocked out or something. And they're like, use your powers. And he's like, I can't. And I'm like, okay, so this is the moment in screenwriting where mm-hmm. Anya Taylor joy comes up and kisses him, which has been the thing that you're building up to all movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> paying off all the romantic tension. And then that gives him the opportunity to light on fire and save the day. I'm like, that's sitting right there. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that is sitting right there and you didn't do it. <laughs> Why didn't you do it? Maybe you did. Maybe we'll never know. Yeah. Maybe it's, that was cut because the studio's notes were like, focus on the action. That's what the people exactly. want to see. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about blue hunt as Danny? Cause this, is a, this looks like basically her first feature. Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of wanted a little bit more from her. I, I, I guess it was just kind of like, you know, like that you have a character who has not only lost every single, lost everything in their entire life and lost every person they've ever loved and cared about, but also been, you know, adjacently, I mean like completely unintentionally because it was a horrible accident, but like responsible for that tragedy. Yeah. And I don't know, like the whole movie, she just, just kind of like, she's just was like, oh, I don't really want to be here. Like, 
like yeah. and and here being the school and i was just like i just i don't know i was like that's such a powerful devastating character and i I think the bits where she gets to be, you know, where she gets to be like really feisty and really, you know, like superhero action heroine. I was like, okay, you know, I could, I, I, I see you have a lot of screen presence, but like, I don't know, like that, that scene, like there's that scene early in the movie where she, she tries to kill herself. And it's like, it, it wasn't immediately, it wasn't, it wasn't immediately apparent to me because that that's what she was doing because of her performance. I was just kind of like, oh, she just looks like she really wants to check she's out kind the top of, mopey. of this block tower. And yeah. then, yeah, she's just kind of mopey. And then it's like, oh, no, she's about to jump off. And I was like, oh, wow. Again, like, not something that I think you would ever do yeah. in, like, a Disney Marvel movie. Like, I like I, like obviously, I think there were production problems and things that they couldn't maybe get right in the in the edit but i think there's a part of me that does feel like the reason this movie got so buried and the reason it got so punted was because disney bought fox and chickened out and we're like ah uh, this is a little too dark this is a little too weird it's a horror movie you know there are jump yeah. scares and the 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 fucking slenderman looking motherfuckers are terrifying <laughs> <laughs> what really the, like, creepy, creepy the smiling design. man or what is that? Yeah. Smiling man. Yeah. Those guys are really, really cool. Really, cool really unnerving. Design. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I was like, this is like, and especially too, if like you're a younger kid watching this because you think it's an X-Men movie, you know, this is, this could be like a really, really good gateway into horror. You know, it's not yeah. as scary as something like nightmare on Elm street three. But I think if you find, if you watch Nightmare on Elm Street after watching this movie, you'll be like, oh, okay, it's same, same kind of shit. That's what they were going for. A little bit more bloody. Yeah. Yeah. It's a slasher in a, in a hospital sort of environment with a bunch of teens. Yeah. 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 Now I, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. I, I, I really like the smiley men. I think that stuff's really cool. I, I have said over and over during this mega series that, it, the X-Men movies really kind of aren't for kids. Like watching them now, I'm like, damn, yeah. like, they're all really heavy thematically. And then some of them go dark like this. I do feel like the element of the story, which is, as you said, was is Danny being responsible for essentially the destruction of her whole reservation. They kind of like skirt past that pretty fast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think cause almost they don't want to be like, eh, that's the, you know, that's, we don't want to go that heavy. Let's keep moving along. Look, big, big bear right. monster that they're fighting. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I think, you know, I wouldn't, I would love to set Josh Boone down and get him real drunk and, you know, <laughs> get the tea on it. Um, because like, yeah, I would not be surprised if there were earlier versions where there was, it was a lot sadder and it was a lot more. Um, and perhaps too, that performance was a lot more affected. You know, I, mm-hmm. I like, I think watching it, um, it was like, I don't know if I can call this a bad performance, but they definitely, they definitely aren't using it to the best of its ability, you know? And I think that's what happens a lot of times where you have movies that are heavily, heavily re-edited and recut and reshot, you know, it's like, like, I mean, justice league is probably the most, you know, obvious, obvious example of this, but it's like, you know, you've got Ben Affleck in the Zack Snyder version. And, you know, it's this like really interesting, it's like Ben Affleck gives this like really interesting performance where he's like, 
you, he's like somebody who's optimistic. He's like somebody for, who's optimistic for the first time, perhaps in his life. Um, mm. And it's like a, it's like a, it's like I think one of my favorite performances of his. And then you've got him in the Whedon version where he is just so drunk in every shot <laughs> because yeah. they dragged him back to do this with this filmmaker who was just by all accounts, just a real mean person to everybody on mm-hmm. set. And it's just like, I would, yeah, I would drink through that too, but it's like, it affects, it affects the performance, you know, yeah. like I, I am sure the, I, yeah, like release the boon cut because I think it, it, it can't be worse than this. And it's definitely got to be more interesting and definitely got to have more interesting choices on the part of all the performers. But I, I, I thought they were all well, I, I thought they were all well cast and yeah. did um, a good job with what they were given. But again, it's like, if you're going to have a, like if you're going to have like a character drama like this, a movie that is like very explicitly like, okay, no, it's just five kids and they're talking with each other. Then, you know, I, it's, it's, it's it's got to really pop off. It's got to really, really fire off. And I think it's like having five really, really strong actors doesn't always necessarily make that make that happen. You know, you have to have five really strong actors who play off of each other in a really strong way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And some of these performers, I think, do have that chemistry, and then others not so much. But it's sure. yeah, it does feel like you you were sort of alluding to it does feel like a movie without a second act. Like the first act, everybody yeah. gets each other and then boom, oh, we're in the third act. I'm like, wait, what already? What happened? Like exactly. there's no, there's no fleshing out of that. And that's why, that's why it doesn't feel like it is uh, on Josh Boone because all of the material is there. It's just, it's, Cut it's, out. it's, it's baked. Yeah, it's <laughs> exactly. It's baked into the material. It's just not, you just wasn't part of the film. Exactly. Like that yeah. scene where they all like that, like, the, yeah, like, I, and I, I noticed this, what you're talking about very acutely in several specific moments in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the biggest one for me was like their sort of breakfast club hangout montage where they like go to the attic and, you know, they're like, right, like pushing each other down the hallway in the wheelchair. I was like, wait a minute, didn't Anya Taylor-Joy like just try and kill, um, didn't she just try and kill Danny in yeah. the last scene, like, like is that, is that, are, they, are they not gonna like talk about that? Is that gonna get even, like, even addressed? No, no, they're all just best friends now. Okay, cool, sweet. Even okay, little cool. things yeah. like the, all right, it, movie, it, great. <laughs> even little things like in the when they're when they're showering, when uh, Rain and Danny are showering, and they're they're talking about like, oh, you know, Reyes can't see us in here. She's like, no, but she might be able to listen. So you know. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. like 10 minutes later, they go up to the attic. They're like, oh, you know, she says, I think Rain says to Danny, like, it's the only place where she can't see us or whatever. And then well, she could, they know that like then that. it's like, they have to they, know that she can see them in the attic. Yeah. <laughs> and then they go to the attic and then they're like, oh, she can't see us here. And I'm like, wait, movie, which one is the, is the, like the haven, which one do they believe is the, the, you know, the safe haven? from Reyes. Right. Is it like the bathroom? Is it, the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it's also funny because like they, they, they cut to a shot in Reyes's like little like TV yeah. room Which where she, she can see them. everything that's happening in the attic. Yes. Like she's yeah. got a camera hooked into the attic. And I was like thinking, I was so funny. You mentioned that because I was thinking that watching the movie, I was like, wait, do they, they know right? they have to know because at least, at least Maisie Williams knows because she was like, 
oh, the shot. It's and and see and and see. Already, we're thinking way too hard about it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> already, exactly. we're thinking harder about it than I think the people who the but last little, people li- who cut this movie together did. <laughs> but little th- little details like that tell me that that attic scene was a reshoot. That they're like, we need scenes of them like you know yeah. bonding, and so they threw exactly. it randomly in the middle of the movie. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yep. No, one hundred percent. How do you feel about the uh, the whole the voiceover, Danny's voiceover, which is a, a tried and true, you know, technique for these X Men movies? They all open with usually Professor X's uh, voiceover, sometimes Gene. Uh, and here we get Danny voice uh, voiceover about the two ba- the whole thing about the two bears and the one you feed and all. Yeah. That. How do you feel about that as a framing device? Is that is that too on the nose? I mean, it's 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 on the nose but it works you know it like does. i i mean it, it's it's effective but do i think that that was how the movie probably originally started out i don't know um again there's a lot about this movie that just reeks of okay we really tried to tie this all together and in reshoots and i think that does happen a lot in movies too i, I i'll notice this sometimes when i'm watching and there will be like an 80 yard line that like explains something again that i've already picked up on as an audience member mm-hmm. um and I think, yeah, a lot of times it's, it's, you know, producers who get into the editing room and go, oh, well, this needs to be more clear. This needs to be more, you know, present. You know, people are going to miss this, this and that. And the obvious and cheapest solution is just to, you know, record some ADR and, you know, get That's some enough, narration yeah. in there to stitch stuff together. It, you know... Um, it's interesting, though, that you say that the other X-Men movies all start out with narration, though, because I did not actually remember that or i didn't notice that um but yeah, it, yeah a lot it's, of usually times, profe- it's usually professor yeah. x oh uh, yeah exactly i think dark phoenix also opens with gene and then uh x2 closes with gene they usually open and close with with voiceover narration nice. uh and yeah it's mm. usually patrick stewart being like mutation you know uh <laughs> thousands of years and every once every once in a while yeah. evolution <laughs> leaps forward that whole thing it's usually some exactly. variation on that uh but yeah, I, so I, it's it's had a lot of potential. It's kind of very, it's very like Stephen King's It kind of too, with the whole their mm, memories and their yeah. past coming back to get them. Only instead of a clown that can shape shift, it's just these you know manifestations that just come to life. Uh, yeah, it is like it. Yeah, that's a, that's another good bit. point of reference for this. Yeah, uh, which also. Wait, when did it come out? When did that movie come? Was that 2016? 17, 17. So that were, was 2017. Okay. Yeah, they were probably. Uh, just so that, the, that, that, yeah, they probably did this because they were like, oh, well, that did really well. And we want to sort of capitalize on some of that market. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's like, yeah, that whole, the, that whole mutant power of everybody's most horrific nightmares and horrific memories becoming reality is is a great horror movie monster, you know, cause it's like in, and I think all the individual forms that that takes for everybody, um, work really well in the context of their individual stories. Um, like for, like for some reason, I don't know why, but like one of the scariest scenes in this movie for me is the, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Charlie Heaton from, um, stranger things. So he plays mm-hmm. this, he plays this guy who, um, that part was a little unclear too. I feel like they cut out a lot of stuff and as it pertains to his backstory, but like basically inadvertent, his powers inadvertently caused a mine explosion that, you know, killed his father. And that scene where he just kind of like 
you just like start, he starts hearing them all around him and then they all start appearing. And it's just like the way that sort of like the, the, the hospital disappears into this like mine shaft and you can sort of feel the tension building into that moment. And I was like, it was really cool. I, 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 um, obviously the bear, it's a little kind of stupid looking, but, um, also kind of not stupid looking. I really liked that scene where it like comes in through the window and, just like thrashes Reyes around in the most yeah. violent way possible. Also, because at that point in the movie, too, you're like, fuck that character. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, much. it was really great. It was really gratifying. But yeah, as I said before, my favorite monster in this movie are the smiling men. Absolutely yeah. terrifying. And and I love too, like the way that like you think that only she can see them. Like you're like, oh, okay, this is her particular demon monster that, you know, she just they like torment her and this and that. And then there's like that shot where like Charlie Heaton like walks into the room and then he sees it and, <laughs> and both him and the audience go like, oh, wait, he's like, it's not real. It, it can't hurt you. He's like, it's, like, it's not real. And it's like, nope, that's that's real. That's very real. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but it's it's yeah, it's cool. I like I think part of the reason I, I I I'm such a hard defender of this movie is because the main character is also the slasher or is also the monster and that that tension is very much thematically the idea of the whole story you know it's like this you know getting old and you know realizing that your consequences have actions and realizing that you know the world is a dangerous and scary place and i think it's very easy for a lot of times for kids to you know bear a lot of that weight haha pun intended um, uh and and yeah and it's like the the whole idea of mutant powers has has provided some really uh captivating individual set pieces throughout this franchise that uh that work really effectively as a metaphor for that particular theme um i always go back to uh the scene with uh, rogue in the very first movie where she is hooking up with that guy and then like for like sends him into a coma or something because of yeah. her particular because of her particular power and just like how you know, I'm watching that as a kid and being like, oh, you know, that was really scary and horrifying. But like what was scary and horrifying about it was that it was like she was like completely innocent in that scenario. She had no idea what she was doing, you know. Right. And um, and yeah, and just like the the way that society does not, you know, protect um <laughs> protect kids um and um kids in vulnerable situations and that that can that it can be become extremely dangerous for them and and result in a lot of like real self-loathing and a lot of shame and a lot of um and of a lot of internalized pain you know it's like that is that is something that has been present in all of the x-men movies but it's like yeah. that's what this movie is about like every single thing in this movie is all sort of geared and engineered um into embodying that particular theme and and making it feel universal for uh, a wide diversity of like experiences as a teenager you know like yeah like there's the guy who gets sets on fire whenever he gets horny you know (laughs) like as you do like yeah as you do because but it's like that that it's like you know a lot of people with a lot of really deep-seated sexual shame can feel that sort of that damage and that pain and um, it's a very literal way of interpreting that. It's but, also, um, again, very effective. Buffy. That was Angel's whole yes. thing. 
So exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, I, so yeah, I don't yeah. remember what the initial question was, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it, there's that, lo- there's that, that line that Reyes has where she's talking about, you know, new mutants are dangerous. Like they come, you know, they can't control their powers and all this stuff. And she's talking about how even the, the mutants that we call heroes today at one point hurt someone. And then you think back to what you said with rogue or like, Mm-hmm. Wolverine's origin or like everyone. Oh my God. Like, yeah. Like they manifest themselves spontaneously, usually in, in adolescence and you don't know what's going on. So for Cyclops, you blow a hole in like your, your high school or, uh, you know, or, or whatever. Like everybody has their, their, tra- their trauma again, <laughs> where yes. their powers are sort of rooted in. And so I like that it does feel like this whole movie was inspired by that scene with rogue. I'm like, Oh my gosh, what's that going to be like? to be a, mm-hmm. a teenager and dealing with emotional stuff. And then suddenly you have this, the, that struggle sort of externalized uh, into these incredible, but also terrifying powers. Um, I like yeah. also how the movie sets up the, uh, the hospital. I forget what the name of this place they're called is, uh, but they, mm. they don't even think they tell, they don't even think to tell you for a while, um, <laughs> but it, they set it up as kind of a, a dark reflection on the X mansion. Where yeah, she's talking yeah, about, yeah. you know, my superior runs a facility for gifted mutants. And so we know we're watching a horror movie, but also they you know, the, the kids are sort of like, oh, isn't it obvious? And, she t- and then, and he touches yeah. his temple. It's like, oh, it's going to be <laughs> Professor X, like all of that. Like, I yeah. like that. It's sort of the, the like perverse flip side of like, yes, there are kids with powers and there's going to be people like Charles Xavier. They're going to want to help them, but there's also mm. going to be people like the people like those at the Essex corporation, which builds off of the post credit scene of apocalypse where you see somebody with oh. an Essex corporation briefcase go into the, you know, get, they get Wolverine's DNA. And so this was supposed to come out after apocalypse, um, which would have made more uh, sense because then it builds on that. And if this yeah. had come out, after Apocalypse, it would have built on that post credit scene, which is what they were doing. They had the Wolverine, had the post credit scene that that tied, keyed right into Days of Future Past, which led right into Apocalypse, that kind of thing. Apocalypse would have led into this. This could have, would have fit thematically with where Logan goes, where there's flashbacks mm. to those kids being experimented on and given powers and and all of that, so, which is... Oh, and those were the same flashbacks. That was the right. same stuff from it's, Logan. I was exactly. like trying to remember that in the movie. I was like, wait a minute. Where have I seen these clips before? I don't, know if, like, it, I don't oh, know if it's exact, God, yeah. exact, but it's very similar. Like it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's clearly supposed to be sort of uh, connected in that way. So it's, yeah. it's funny well, that it we're is, like, yeah. it's not connected, but it is kind of connected. Like it's connected enough. And that was... That's what how they, they you know, how they rolled with these movies. It's like, eh, it's loosely connected. And that worked. Yeah. That, that was all you needed. I mean, it's an interesting idea because it is like, yeah, like, you know, the it, like the the reason Xavier's school is what it is, is because of it's all approached from a place of acceptance and compassion. Right. It's like it's come as you are, you know, like we we love you no matter what your weird quirk or your mutation is. Um, everybody else here has got their weird quirks and mutations. And we're, we're all just here to make the world a better place and make the world a safer place uh, for ourselves, you know, and yeah. uh, as opposed to the Essex Corporation, which is like, uh, no, this is a weapon. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because you always have to have that in a sci-fi movie. You always have to have the military, the military-industrial complex. 
hearts in the background going like, hey, what if we <laughs> what if we weaponize these kids? Um, but yeah, but it's like it, it you know, I you asked earlier about like the opening narration and it's like I do think it, you know, it really comes down to that idea of, you know, who is the bear that you feed, you know, like mm-hmm. Magneto and Professor X, uh, you know, they both feed very different bears within themselves, you know, like, per, like, they both have, you know, gone through all this pain and been so deeply rejected by society. And, you know, Professor X's solution to that was building the school and, you know, trying to make, you know, trying to make the world a better place through love and compassion and peace. And Magneto took it in the opposite direction and said, like, you know, well, we're an oppressed people. (laughs) You know, we we have to fight. We have to fight for our right to survive and a fight for our right to exist. Um, Yeah. Anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but it's it's (laughs) I think I think of anything. It's like, you know, yeah, it's like this is very much an X-Men movie, Mm -hmm. but it's wild in that it's an X-Men movie that only actually really references the X-Men once. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it it just is an X-Men movie purely because of what it is at its core and in its DNA. You know, I think they I think they only say the term X-Men like one time. They it's other than that, it's alluded to. And yeah, all of that. Uh yeah, and and I have to imagine because there were all these rumors at one point that we were going to get John Hamm or someone as Mister Sinister, who's the leader, like the head of Essex Corporation. It's like his whole mm, thing. Uh, yeah. So that could have been cool if if the Disney thing hadn't happened, we might have seen that sort of play out. Um, but it's also it feels like in some ways that this movie got sort of punished for being smaller in scale in a way. Yeah, yeah. You, it, going from Apocalypse, which is crazy you know spectacle and cg and there's all these you know buildings and stuff being ripped apart 300 million dollar movie yeah (laughs) yeah yeah which which i feel like you know and i've said this before on on other episodes i feel like most fans of this franchise have an x-men movie that they're that is generally not liked that they're like "Eh, kind of like it that that's a pocket yeah <laughs> even though i know oh, is messy, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's messy and it's all over the place and it's got problems i'm sort of like i don't know it's entertaining um as people i love about. i love the the only actually the only thing i remember from that movie is the the um the pietro scene where he saved where the school blows up and he yeah like runs around the school i was like that was fu- that Six was dreams are made really of this cool and i yeah and i can't believe they managed to top the the kitchen one from the last movie because yeah. that scene was also really great but like um no yeah um oh man i forgot what i was gonna say hold on what were what were we just talking about <laughs> is there is there an, is there an x-men movie that is generally kind of maligned that you were like you stick up for i guess it's this one this one. No, yeah, yeah, it's this one. Cause like I again, like I really, you know, and as a as a queer person too, you know, like I I really, really, really loved seeing a movie where it was like, okay, it's not like it's not just that we have two queer characters who happen to be in the movie, but like they are the main characters of the movie and mm-hmm. their queerness is like very much tied into, you know their relationship and why the movie and how the movie plays out the way that they do. Like it's, you know, it's really, it's, it's really their love and also the sort of collective group love that is that, that gives Danny the strength at the end to 
stand up to her fear and basically be like, no, 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 I get to decide. I get to decide the person I want to be. And I get to, um, and I see myself as loved and valuable, which is, I think a struggle that, um, man, like most every queer kid can relate to in some way. Mm. Um, you know, like it was really, it was really interesting. The whole, uh, the whole religious angle to, um, to Maisie Williams characters, um, arc, you know, like obviously she's being, uh, you know, she, she was persecuted by the church for, you know, being a werewolf. (laughs) Um, but it's like, you know, here you have a character who's also queer and it's like, you have a character who's also gay growing up in the Catholic church. And I'm like, well, (laughs) that is a whole, that is a whole trauma. And that's a whole trauma in and of itself. Um, and then, yeah, it's, yeah. Like there are all these like really weird, like sort of visual motifs and like evocative moments in a lot of her, um, nightmare sequences that like reminded me a lot of, uh, like religious trauma and like, like the branding and, you know, like, um, you know, the like the fact that that all of that happened in the shower too, it has a very creepy vibe of sexual assault to it. It was like, you know, um, it's a, it's a, it's like, it's got some powerful imagery in it and it's got some really powerful themes and yeah. Are the characters actually given enough time to earn their arcs? No, but they still have them. And it's pretty cool that they did because, you know, I don't think like for as cool as the, for as cool and bold as the X-Men movies were, I can't think of another one except maybe Logan that was really able to delve into the, delve into the thornier and more human aspects of the concept um, in such an effective way. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is, I will always go to bat. I will always go to bat for this movie. I don't think it's perfect, but I love it. It is my go-to plane movie. (laughs) (laughs) Always, always, always a fun time. I think, um, Ileana's story, uh, also it implies some kind of sexual assault or or, uh, torture, whatever. Something was, yeah, something (sighs) sketchy was going there, uh, going on there as well. Um, and it's something yeah. because yeah, you're right. Disney was probably like, yeah, we have to I, make this as unapparent as possible. But that's give me an R-rated like let let those be a little more explicit. Like yes, it, I don't know. You know, like, like there's definitely something here. It just we weren't given the complete uh, the complete meal that this movie was trying to give us. And yeah. that was like like you said about the queer representation. That was that struck me when I was watching it in the drive-in. Also, like, yeah. that's so rare to see in major movies, period, let alone superhero movies. Plus, one of them is the, our main character is also Native American, and our yeah. villain is a, is a Latino woman. Like, you never see any of, like, it's, I know. it's a really diverse cast. And uh, I kept thinking to myself, I was watching it, like, wow, I can't believe they're, like, they're doing this in a movie, in yeah. a Marvel movie. And too it's bad like, no one will see it. <laughs> that's what I know. I know. I know. It's, it's like, the, and it's, it's funny because it's like, you get like, like, as we've talked about, they tried really, really hard to sand a lot of this stuff down, yeah but they couldn't sand it off. And I think that's, what's really cool. I think that's what, that what is really punk rock about this movie was it's like, okay, yeah, this is like the most Disney plus friendly version of this, but it was still this to begin with. And it's like, right. it was like, there was such, there was such intentionality and drive behind the concept behind this movie and behind the arcs of the characters and who those characters were that it was like, yeah, I'm sure Disney was like, 
man, can we, can we cut out the gay? And they were like, nope, there's too much gay. We cannot cut out the gay. <laughs> and they just had to deal with it. And I love that because fuck them. <laughs> like, I don't know. This is a bit of a, a side thing, but have you seen Nimona? Yeah. Mm-mm. No. Oh my God. It's this, it was the last blue sky movie um, that was in production. Oh, before I heard of it. Disney yeah, bought I heard of Fox. Good things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's, it's also uh, led by a, a queer character, a gay, a gay man uh, who kisses his boyfriend on screen um, right. and a character who's not explicitly queer, but very, 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 very heavily implied to be queer and uses its sort of magic, you know, sci-fi concepts to embody the struggle of, you know, being queer in a world that oppresses you a lot better than this movie does and a lot more effectively. But Disney canned it when they got it from Fox. They were like, yeah, we can't do We can't do this. No, we will not do this. This will not sell. Um, And Annapurna, um, Megan Ellison, uh, God bless her, um, picked it up and finished it and they dumped it on Netflix, uh, which is not ideal, but at least it exists and it got made and yeah. it is really, really, really cool. And I would strongly recommend it. It, it, it feels like that movie felt to me sort of like the logical next point, next point after new mutants when it comes to represent representation. I'm like, okay, well you have something that got like, you know, it got really trampled on by the studio system and came out and, was queer, but was perhaps not nearly as queer as it should have been. Um, But then you have Annapurna who, you know, has carte blanche, you know, they can, they literally get to do whatever they want because they're just sitting on an infinite amount of money (laughs) (laughs) Uh, basically Um, and got to finish it and let it be the absolute best version of itself. And yeah. And this is why I I plug it and recommend it to like everybody I know, because I'm like, it, kind of disappeared on Netflix, but it's out there and it exists. And I think it's very important to, I think it's very important to support and plug, um, movies like that. Um, specifically, you know, and this comes back to new mutants too, but like specifically movies marketed to children, because I think like, I, I think about growing up in the world that I grow grew up in and not seeing any gay characters on screen, at all. And mm-hmm. when I did, it was like a side character was played for a joke or it was like somebody we were explicitly not supposed to like. And it's like, I just, I can't, I can't imagine. It's just, it's, it's so cool for me to imagine growing up as a teenager with a movie like new mutants. I'm like, man, if this movie existed when I was an X-Men fan in high school, I just, I don't know, would my life have been different? Like, would I, like, would I have seen myself differently, you know? And so it's like, yeah, I, I will always go to bat for this movie because I think it's flawed and definitely not the best version of itself and definitely like pretty aggressively sucks at certain points. Um, but there is truly nothing else like it. And that's really sad because I think there needs to be a lot of stuff like it. So yeah, Yeah. that's my soapbox. (laughs) So I, do you think that, Disney is too, too, that's a whole conversation, but do you think Marvel has gotten any stronger as far as representation goes or as far as genre experimentation goes? Because like I said, this was supposed to come out in what, 2018? We're five years in and we've gotten like, I'm, I'm, I was just like doing research to refresh my memory and I'm like, okay, that's right. The grieving man that uh, Joe Russo played (laughs) in uh, Avengers Endgame. (gasps) 
It's like I went on a well, date with a guy, and then we had that yeah. Fastos and Eternals. it was Fastos. Yes, I was gonna say Fastos. It's like which, basically, oh, which I really yeah. liked. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. To answer your question, I I think it's gotten better. Yeah, but again, I still can't even see something like this getting made nowadays. Right. Like no, I, I, I it's gotten better, but I don't think it's gotten good enough because I think there's still. I, 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 I think they're a fan, you know, it's hard. They're like a family oriented company and right. like a lot. And it's sad because like, you know, if you look at the news today, like a lot, a lot of the hate and rhetoric and, um, legislation that's being like, like anti-trans and anti-gay legislation that's being passed is really being driven by parents and people who are like quote unquote family first. And it's mm-hmm. like, I think it's hard because it's like Disney's market is families, but it's like, you know, specifically in this country, but I think also in all parts of the world, it's like the, the definition of what that means varies wildly from person to person and from location to location, you know? So it's like, they're, they're always like, and they're always they're you know, they're a business. They're like, well, every time yeah. we make a movie, we have to think about those people too. And we have to think about like, you know, and we have to play to their, you know, particular biases and, you know, fears and they've gotten better, but not good enough because yeah, like this movie deserved better. Nimona deserved better you know, like it's, it's, it's progress, but slow progress. It makes it all the more frustrating when something like strange world, which is not a great movie, but has a queer oh, never character. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It just like came out and poof disappeared, which I'll, yeah. I actually saw that in theaters as well. Um, and took, you know, went with my kids and my wife and everything. And it's a, yeah. it's a perfectly fine adventure story, but it's sort oh, of I groundbreaking yeah, in yeah, that yeah. way. And, uh, yeah, it's just, they, they take, it's like the, the whole Barbie thing. Like they're not going to give necessarily Greta Gerwig a mountain of money to like, here, make whatever you want. They're going to be like, let's make toy movies. All of them. (laughs) That's what, that's the, that's what Mattel's going to do. Um, and as far as the, yeah, exactly. As far as the genre thing goes, like, I think the closest we've gotten to a Marvel horror movie is Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness, which has yeah. glimmers of Sam Raimi in it. And you know, it's but it's very sporadic. I feel like I actually happen to be a really big fan of that movie. Um, which is funny because I feel like that's another similar movie to this where it was like, yeah. that movie went through a very difficult development process. And like, I, I like talked to friends at Disney, who like said they saw cuts of that movie, like early cuts of that movie. And they were like, yeah, they're like whole characters who like are cut out and like, they, right. like there was a lot of like nipping and tucking, but yeah, I mean, as a piece of genre, like by far the boldest thing I think they've ever done. Like I was yeah. like, uh, and and not even just like the horror bits, but it was like the way they shot the horror bits. Like it was so, it was so Raimi. Like that, yeah. oh man, the whole dream, the whole Wanda's dream walking sequence where oh, she, that like, was, yeah. she possesses her body and then like looks directly into the camera. I was like, this is cool. This is yeah. really cool. <laughs> I can't remember. I think the, I, the only other thing that cool that I think I've seen Marvel do recently is Eternals. But I think that was a yeah. very, that was a very, I think that what that was, was just a, was just a difficult pairing of, <laughs> of director and material. But um, I think I, I understand why a lot of people were off put by that one, but I really, really, I, I really liked it. Um, and I liked it because I was like, 
wow, there's the like narratively and genre wise, this is a pretty bold step. Um, yeah. But again, though, again, not quite bold and not quite as bold as I think this movie, this movie that we're talking about is like, I think mm-hmm. again, like it's, this is very, very explicitly a horror teen drama. It has flashes of superhero. It has flashes of superhero movie, but it's like most superhero movies have flashes of whatever genre yeah, exactly. playing with. This one is, the, it is, it is what it is. And, um, and I think try as they did to make it more, you know, palatable in post-production. It's like, that's, that's, that's what was in the DNA from the beginning. So, um, yeah. In hindsight, it's easy to see why audiences didn't get down with the psychic demon bear in the climax though. Like it's, it's a hard sell. Like even, even without, you know, all the other, all the other elements, like just like the, the imagery in this movie is like, there's a lot going on. Like, how do you, how, how do you succinctly kind of pitch this to general audiences, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, and they, and I, I, they tried, I liked that first trailer, but like, again, you're, you're talking about, you're talking about an X-Men movie. It's like, I, Mm. I think Disney was very, I think they were probably very frustrated by the fact that this is an X-Men movie in which no other X-Men characters show up. It doesn't, have a post credit scene where they like, you know, run into Wolverine or run into Deadpool or something. It's like, this is a, like you, you, you said this a little earlier in the podcast that the, like, this is a very small movie. Like this is a very, this is a very small story. And I think, I think my thing, you know, to take it back to Marvel overall as a whole. And I think the reason that people are starting to have a lot of problems with them as a brand is that they don't know how to do that. They don't right. know how to make something small. It always has to be super big. And every time they do make something small, again, they do it as a Disney plus series. And uh, look, my opinion on the Disney plus series is a whole another thing, but I think yeah. needless to say, I, I, it's content overload and it's not what people want and it's not what the stories deserve, you know, yep. like, yeah, I, so yes. Anyway, that was all the long winded way of saying like, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I think they're moving in the right direction as something like this. And I think specifically as they continue to have a lot of box office woes, I think they're going to start to need to do smaller movies. They're going to start to need to do more mid budget stuff like this. Um, but I think they'll be better for it because, you know, like, yeah, here you have a movie which is flawed and imperfect, but still feels a lot more thematically coherent uh, than a lot of the bigger, more successful stuff that they do. So, um, and that's a lot easier to do when you're not juggling 16 things at once and trying to set up six different shows and, you know, like, you know, and, uh, trying to make every movie like a four quadrant, you know, yeah. bring the whole family IMAX event. You know, it's like, after, you know, if you eat McDonald's for so long, you get sick. It's yeah. just simple as that, you know. <laughs> no, to the Disney Plus thing real quick. There's been, I've so I've seen just about all of them. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if I'm going to, I think I'm at the point that I'm like, I'm going to pick and choose a little bit more now because I keep giving Marvel the benefit of the doubt and then I keep spending six hours watching Secret Invasion and I'm like, this could have been a movie or a special, like a do a, like Werewolf by Night style, like an hour on this if you're going Oh to yeah, I'm something. forgetting about Werewolf by Night. That that's was really, a, that was neat. That's that the was, other that one. Was, yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah. 
Um, see, that's exactly what I'm talking about, though. Yeah. Because I was like, that wasn't a show. That was it was a, it was like a Halloween special. It's a special, it was like yeah. Forty five minutes. It was a great forty five minutes. I was like, perfect. In and yeah. out. Just got some cool ass monsters. Just have fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the cool stuff isn't really going anywhere. They're like not. They're not building off of the cool stuff. We might never see the Eternals yeah. again. Basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Like, I hope yeah. we do. I actually really like that movie, and I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in it. Uh, I haven't heard anything about any follow-up with any of those characters. So we will, we'll see. We'll Same, see. Kind of like the New yeah. Mutants. Um, but yeah, is they there... They literally ended on a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Jeez. Um, is there anything about the New Mutants that we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure we mentioned? No, I think I said basically everything I want to say. I've been thinking hard all podcasts about what my top three are going to be, and now I'm like, I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm ready to go. I think I'm Ooh, ready okay. to do it. Well, yeah. well, before before we get to that, what is the what do you think is the legacy of the X Men movie franchise? What is the what does it contribute to cinema, the superhero genre, etc.? I think it is factually the very first superhero franchise. I mean, it, it, it like it is like, like this has been running longer than the Spider-Man movies, than the Marvel cinematic universe, than any of the interconnected DC movies. It was like X-Men did truly set the, it set the standard in a way for a time for what superhero movies yeah. were. And I do think really paved the way for what Marvel studios would really perfect at the, in the following decade, you know? So I think, I, I think it's an incredibly important franchise. I think, um, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine is just simply one of the cool, like they, they, they truly succeeded at making him one of the coolest movie characters. Um, and, uh, like that, like him as that character was really, uh, I think really important for establishing Marvel as a brand, um, specifically as like a theatrical brand, you know? Um, <clears throat> so I, I, yeah, I think, and then I think there are some real bangers in there. Like, I think people are going to go back and watch first class years from now and be like, that's a, that's a banging movie, <laughs> you know, <laughs> people, Logan, you know, like that is, you know, I, that very, I think the first movie, the first superhero movie to get nominated for best adapted screenplay sure um, at the Oscars, which I mean, you know, it's whether or not the Oscars matter is a whole nother discussion, but I mean, that is, I think that's an interesting bit of legacy. And I think it was definitely really well earned. I think by that point, you know, it was, it, it there was a lot to celebrate when it came to the X-Men movies and the X-Men franchise. And that movie did a really great job at celebrating everything that deserved to be, um, so yeah, so I, yeah, there's a, a lot, a lot, a lot to love and also a lot to not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, the, your point about Logan, it's, it, it is, it's a certain, it's, it's a kind of validation. It's, you know, that, that even yeah. a movie based on a comic book, where even this like snooty Oscar voters had to be like, well, I don't know. That's a pretty good one. We'll, we'll give that yeah. one a nod. It's the cultural yeah. impact of that movie that it's a, that when it's done right, you know, and you and I have no problem with this because we love all these different genres, but when it's done right, a sci-fi movie, a horror movie, a superhero movie should be taken as just as seriously as any prestige drama. You know, I think, mm, yeah. I think that that's sort of leveling the playing field. That's not to say 
you know, I'm not putting Shazam Fury of the Gods up for any Oscars, but it's like, but it's like, but the genre is capable of, of, you know, multitudes, I guess. And I exactly. think Logan was, yeah, yeah looking for that. Yeah. That being Helen said, Aaron I feel like for best supporting actress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, so that being said, what is your, what would you say is your top three? Of the uh, um yeah so um before I go are we counting Deadpool movies? We are not counting Deadpool movies. The X Men are in the Deadpool movies though. <laughs> they technically are, but the Deadpool they are. <laughs> but one X is also or the Roman numeral for ten, so I like keeping that nice and round. And, oh, okay. uh, and New sorry. Mutants is the is like the bonus episode that I only did yeah, because you sure. twisted my arm, Jackson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really glad I did. This has been a really, this has been no. a really great discussion. No, Thank no, me too. I'm on. glad you did. Um, okay, well, if we're not counting. Okay, so we're not counting. Yeah, if we're not counting Deadpool movies. So obviously first for me is Days of Future Past. I love that movie. Um, second, uh, Logan, obviously. Um, it's a fantastic movie. I, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like a little like... I was like, oh, wow, this really is like Children of Men. But then the second time I saw it, I was like, yeah, but it's Children of Men, but it's like also an X-Men movie. And it's it's yeah. it's great. It's really good. It's really effective. Um, yeah, I love Logan. Um, and three, um, honestly, I'm going to go with the first one. I'm, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the very, 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 very first Brian Singer, although fuck him. Uh, well, <laughs> very yeah. first, uh, X-Men movie because I like that movie is so vivid um, and so cool and also so simple too. Like I, I, I miss when superhero movies were more to the point like that and weren't so busy with having to like give every character an arc. And it's like, you know, it's just storm is going to show up and she's going to fuck shit up and it's going to be great (laughs) and you're going to love it. Um, Yeah. That one, I think that, that, has stuck with me more than I think most other superhero movies. Um, so I would probably put that as third. Um, although I would say probably days of future past is a close fourth. Like I, I, I really do like days of future past. That one's really good too. Um, if I were to include Deadpool movies, I'd probably put Deadpool as three, but, um, but I am not, so I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, uh, one, first of all, I think you misspoke and I think you said days of future past was your favorite favorite and I, I know obviously my first class oh my god i'm so um, sorry i did but i knew oh what you god. meant because you said it earlier oh, so far. but that's fine yeah I first got, class i got first you class. we're on the same thing. i mean i feel first like first class is for her first uh, <laughs> it's in the name it's in the name logan yeah existence that's the key to remembering first <laughs> yeah, class is first go. then logan then x-men oh i think yeah I, it, I, through most of these when i've asked people for their top three like everyone has e- either mentioned uh, first class, Days of Future Past, X Two, or Logan, and then I feel yes. like on, I feel like the original movie has been brought up a few times as well. Uh, and I think you know it's the one that started it all. It opens with the, yeah. the Auschwitz scene with Matt Magneto's flashback, yes. which is such oh. a such a like scene setter for the whole franchise. Uh, yes. and I and you know to the point that even Matthew Vaughn's like, we're just gonna restage that and, and expand on it a little bit. <laughs> Uh, because there's no notes on that first scene. We're just going to exactly. keep building on it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there, there's kind of a general consensus of which are the good ones and which are the mm, not less good ones. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, to to the point of this episode, like I I do feel like even the New Mutants is you know is worth checking out. Like if you're like this franchise and you're interested in this, and people haven't seen that, which I'm assuming most people haven't seen it, even though now it's on <laughs> Disney Plus, like you mentioned. 
uh, I do think it's it's worth checking out. And I'm glad that we did do this because otherwise, I don't know if I would have ever done an episode on the New Mutants, honestly. It's, yeah, it, it, no. it's very easily could have gotten lost uh, amidst everything else. It kind of got, yeah, it kind of vanished after it came out. So I, I, again, I take every opportunity I can to just like remind people that it exists, you know, this, yeah, like I, I don't, it's hard to recommend a movie that I'm guessing most people will be kind of mid on. Um, but I will say if you've got kids and you're, you know, showing your kids, the X-Men movies, like this is definitely a movie that I would very strongly recommend including in that roster. Mm -hmm. Uh, a, because I think it's a really, I think it could be a really, really good gateway drug <laughs> to get your kids into into horror movies and show them like, oh, things can be scary, but they can also be really good and, you know, yeah. good characters and other elements to it too, you know. Um, and also, you know, to I think the lessons that it teaches kids are really important. Um, and... I think the lessons that all X-Men movies teach kids are really important. You know, yeah, like there's, it's, it's no accident that that first movie starts out in Auschwitz because, you know, the, the story is about oppression you know, it's about yeah. fighting to live in a society where you're accepted for who you are. And, um, like I said, I think when it comes to new mutants, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of kids could re- can relate to a lot of the stuff that those kids were going through. Um, and I think it's really important for them to hear that they're loved and then they're uh, that they're accepted and that they can be cool, awesome werewolves and interdimensional, uh, pterodactyl riding knights <laughs> of, I don't know what really magic's power is, but it's, <laughs> it's just cool. <laughs> Her power is just cool. Um, she has like a pocket and, dimension that she created. Yeah. She's like, I got like a pocket dimension basically. Yeah. They expl- which- they're, and then she has the puppet Lockheed that we actually see as the actual dragon later on which is so cool come on yeah yeah but yeah no so i think i i i i would recommend i would recommend this movie um under certain circumstances but i would definitely recommend it (laughs) yeah absolutely no this was a blast thank you so much jackson for coming on yeah man thanks for having thanks for having me on tell uh tell the people listening where they can find you on social media uh, yeah. So, um, best place is probably Instagram. That's where I'm at most, uh, most of the day nowadays. Um, my handle is Jackson. So my name J A C K S O N and then the letter S and then an underscore and then the number 95. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, you can see that it'll have links, uh, to some of my more recent work. Like I said, Adam and I are nightfall entertainment. You can find us on YouTube, um, Spotify, uh, also on Instagram and Twitter as I believe nightfall official. Um, I have to check on that though. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, um, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, this was a blast. I'm glad we were able to uh sneak in one last x-men conversation <laughs> in this mega series and, I, and i'm glad we were able to make it happen we'll definitely have you back on here at some point in the future my friend awesome man thank you so much big thanks to jackson smith of nightfall entertainment for coming on to discuss 2020's the new mutants the 11th entry on this mega series and boy i don't i'm so glad i'm not really gonna have to talk about x-men anymore for a while because there's a lot of mutant films y'all of course if you've been listening to these episodes you know that a lot of times we do the rankings at the end of these franchises but we're not really doing it this time just because there are 11 entries but if i had to do my personal ranking which is usually what i've 
also been ending things with for these 10, scratch that out, 11 X-Men films in the Fox era, it would be as follows. In 11th place, 2009's X-Men Origins Wolverine. Big thanks to Jose Lopez Jr. for coming on to discuss that. It was a blast digging into that movie. Obviously not a great movie, but uh, it was a great time talking to him. Number 10 for me, The New Mutants. As you just heard, Jackson and I discussing this movie. I actually liked it slightly better this time around, only because I can see the glimmers of what it could have been. I do think Anya Taylor-Joy is a ton of fun uh, in pretty much everything, and it was really fun to the way this episode came together uh, sort of by happenstance. So thanks to Jackson Smith from Nightfall Entertainment for coming on to discuss that with me. And ninth place is 2019's Dark Phoenix. Darren Lundberg of NostalgiaCast, always a blast to talk to, always a really insightful conversation, and I did walk away with a little bit of a greater appreciation for this movie. Number eight for me is X-Men The Last Stand. Jeremiah Stewart of Let's Talk and I had a really great conversation about this film, which is a bit of a drag considering the quality of the first two, and Brett Ratner behind the camera is a little bit restrictive in that regard, but... Still kind of a decent watch, kind of a, an easy one to just pop on since it is relatively short. Uh, and you get enough good stuff to keep you sort of coming back to it periodically if you're a hardcore X-Men fan. Coming in at number seven for me is X-Men Apocalypse from 2016. Claire of the W-Rated Podcast and I had a blast once again uh, bonding over a franchise entry that is not particularly well regarded among its fans. Uh, obviously, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows being the other example of that. But, you know, she and I both enjoy how, how wacky this movie is and how ambitious it is in places and how it tries stuff, even if there's, it's starting to wear a bit thin, uh, at least Brian Singer's stamp on the, on the franchise. Um, so big thanks to her for coming on to talk about that with me. Number six for me is The Wolverine from 2013. Ryan Luis Rodriguez of One Track Mind. And I really, I think, tapped into why this movie is like the perfect stepping stone between X-Men Origins Wolverine and Logan. I think it's, it's, it's in a lot of ways, sort of a balanced marriage of both films thematically and uh, as far as production-wise and behind the scenes and everything they have going on with that. So big thanks to him for coming on. In fifth place, I have the original X-Men. Brian Scuttle of Sonic Cinema came on to discuss the movie that started this whole franchise to begin with. And I think really a movie that's often underrated. I mean, we talk about Iron Man. We talk about The Dark Knight. We even talk about the Spider-Man films from Sam Raimi, um, which we've covered on this podcast, as well as the the Nolan Batman films. And X-Men sort of gets lost in the shuffle, I think, between Blade and Spider-Man. And I think it's, you know, it was perhaps even more impactful in some ways than either of those because it proved you could take these characters seriously, you could do an ensemble, then Marvel had uh, franchise, like wide, uh, widespread appeal on the big screen um, in more accessible ways than obviously an R-rated vampire um, thriller would, would be because you can market this a little more to kids even though they're not really for kids, honestly, as we got into. Fourth place for me is X-Men First Class from 2011. Kevin the Critic and I came in here and, and talked about Matthew Vaughn's version of this franchise and what a shame it is that we didn't get more of it. Hopefully, somebody at Marvel, Disney, anywhere, anything related to this will 
the 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 uh, idea will float past them that Matthew Vaughn is the perfect person to come in and bring this franchise back, Martin Campbell style, as Martin Campbell did with the GoldenEye and Casino Royale. Get Vaughn back behind the camera. I think we can get this thing off to a good start. So big thanks to Kevin the Critic for coming on. Number three, I have X2 X-Men United. Phoenix Cloudon of the Film Code podcast came on to discuss that one with me. And again, it's it's one of those movies that is often held up as one of the best of this franchise. I think rightfully so, even if it has slipped a little bit in my estimation upon this rewatch. Um, it's no longer it was for a long time was my favorite on the franchise, and I think it's it's things have sort of shuffled around a little bit uh, after doing this podcast. So take for, take that for what you will. But big thanks to Phoenix for coming on to chat about it with me. In second place, this is a close one. In second place, I think I have 2017's Logan. Um, as as we discussed, as Catherine Gonzalez and I discussed, it, it's it's a really rich film thematically. It's got a gorgeous uh, aesthetic to it. Obviously, it goes for broke with the violence, but it also goes really dark with its themes and its character journeys. And then Daphne Keene steals the whole show as uh, X-23. So definitely hope to see more of her. And just a really fun uh, and emotionally impactful movie that was supposed to put the button on you, Jackman's Wolverine. We'll see how that all plays out, of course. But big thanks to Kat for coming on to discuss that one with me. And in first place... For me, I think it's X-Men Days of Future Past from 2014. This was always sort of in the mix for me uh, as my favorite one, along with Logan and X2. But I think it it sort of leapfrogged past them upon this rewatch just because it feels the most comic booky. Like, it feels the most like a story ripped right from the pages. I love time travel, so time travel is always going to be a big draw for me. Uh, and especially now watching the animated series, like it feels, or rewatching the animated series, I should say, uh, it feels like it, it hits the most buttons of what this franchise can do, balancing its ensemble, this sort of sprawling, ambitious narrative that, that spans decades, uh, spectacle, character, uh, emotion. There's like, there's, it's about relationships between, uh, Raven and Charles and Raven and, and Eric and the friendship the foundation of this whole franchise between Charles and Eric. And I really think all that stuff works. Having Hugh Jackman's Wolverine as sort of the avatar for this, uh, for this story as, you know, the fan favorite character and the one that can sort of bridge walk between both worlds, so to speak. Um, so film critic Rosa Parra and I, we really got into this movie and I, I think it, I think it is the best. I think it is the best of this franchise. I think it's it X-Men first class and days of future past, I'd say are like the, gold standards for what the MCU should be looking toward as they re uh, reboot these characters and this world. So hopefully they'll learn some of those lessons from that. I want to say a big thanks to Rosa also, of course, and all the guests who came on to discuss these 11 movies with me for this podcast. This was uh, so much fun. Obviously, I've been a fan of these characters for my whole life. So getting the opportunity to talk to 11 uh, esteemed film critics and podcasters and uh, cinephiles like all of you has been a really fun and a, and a, a very um, enriching journey for me as an X fan. So uh, I hope that it got all of you excited for whatever the X-Men franchise has next. I am planning on doing the Deadpool trilogy when three comes out. Uh, not sure if it's, I think because of the strikes, the production was affected. So the schedule will probably shift around a bit. Uh, on my end and on Disney's end. So stay tuned for that at some point. 
As for what's next for this podcast, I have ideas for the a few franchises that I want to discuss next. Uh, namely, I definitely want to talk about in 2024, the Before Trilogy, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, the Rocky slash Creed franchise, and the Cornetto trilogy, the Three Flavors Cornetto from uh, Edgar Wright. So those are some of the ones I'm probably going to be delving into first in 2024. However, I'm not really, I don't really have a set plan. I'm probably going to take a bit of a break from the podcast just to kind of organize things behind the scenes uh, personally, but also with Crooked Table Productions. There's some other projects I want to get in the works. There's some behind the scenes things as far as like a Patreon that I've been meaning to launch forever and maybe some merch. So stay tuned for all of that stuff in 2024. And of course, follow me on social media at Crooked Table for all the latest updates. If you follow me on uh, Twitter slash X or Instagram or uh, Facebook or LinkedIn or Tumblr, like I'm going to try and and be as active as I can on that more, uh, more so going forward as far as keeping you all updated on what's going on with Crooked Table. You can also, of course, always reach me via email at robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production, the longest mega series we've covered in the history of franchise detours, but there's a lot more to come, so please stay tuned, everyone. And in 2024, I'll catch you at the next stop. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. <laughs> <laughs>